Again, everyone, we are in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to go through the first 10 verses. And I do want to remind you that um, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther are these, you know, there's, there's these cluster of books that, uh, to understand the timeline of these three, um, we have a timeline available on our website. So if you go to the website, you can see the timeline there. It's under resources and just click on Nehemiah timeline. Um, so we are, uh, I'm excited to begin chapter two today. And this is um, starting with verse one. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. So this is Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through 10. And it came about in the month Nisan, the first month. <clears throat> I'm sorry, we're actually going to start at verse five. I said to the king, so I prayed to the Lord God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, I'm very sorry. I'm having a hard time today. Can you guys, let's just pray for a second here because Lord, I just ask for you to give me clarity, God. Um, I pray that you would allow me to articulate your word. I pray that you would allow me to communicate it uh, and and that you um, would go forth in truth and empower, Lord, uh, convict our hearts, aim our hearts to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome everybody to Faith Evangelical Church. My name is Pat, and uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so we are going to start with verse 1. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Verse four, then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse five, I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. Verse seven. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me. Why? I add, because the good God, a good hand of my God was on me. And then verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had uh, sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. And when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of Israel. So here we have, we're getting cranked up here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was... As we, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we know that Nehemiah was given a burden when he heard about his people suffering back in Judah. 
Now, Nehemiah is, uh, is in captivity. He was born in captivity. During this time in Israel's history, <clears throat> the Persian kings were reigning over the whole entire world. They had defeated the, um, the, the, uh, the Babylonian kings. They had defeated Assyria. And now they were ruling everywhere and everything. And they were pretty good, pretty cool with the Israelites. They weren't like hard drivers like uh, the, the Babylonian or the Assyrians for, for certain were. And so the Persian kings here, uh, God had put on their heart, as we see here, to help Nehemiah. But more important than that, God had put something in Nehemiah's heart. He had, he had this burden for his people. He had this burden to want to go back 800 miles away to Israel to go there and to rebuild the city. He wanted to build a fortress around the city. The temple had already been rebuilt, but now he wanted to secure the walls and he wanted to be able to fix his go back to his father's tomb, build himself a tomb. And this was something that was very, very passionate to him. And so we see here, though, at the end of this whole passage, we see a very unique phrase, which is what I'm going to zone in or hone in on today. And that is the hand of God. Now, there's a company called 24-7 Wall Street, and what they did is they raided all the heaviest objects in the world. They examined sources such as the Guinness World Records and various other travel, uh, science, and engineering resources, and they wanted to find what is the world's heaviest man-made object. Now, what came on top was the Great Wall of China. It's estimated to be the heaviest item on earth at 116 billion, <clears throat> that's billion with a B, pounds. Now, the heaviest object or item that has been directly weighed on a scale by mankind, as per Guinness, is the rotating service structure for one of the launch pads at Kennedy Space Center. This comes in very close to 4.9 million pounds. Now, all of these things are man-made objects. These are all things that we can either calculate or physically weigh. But my question I'm proposing to you today is, what about things that are not man-made? What about spiritual things? Can spiritual things be heavy, too heavy to even weigh? In scripture, we're told God's hand is too heavy for anyone to bear. His hand is heavy against his enemies, as in 1 Samuel 5, 6. It reads that his hand was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them with tumors. We also see his heavy hand on individuals whom he loves. David writes in Psalm 32, 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away with the fever heat of summer. I don't know if you follow arm wrestling at all, but one of my, of course, we all do here. Of course, my, one of my favorite arm, wrestle, arm wrestling champions is Jeff Dave. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but he's a real phenomenon. He's an arm wrestler with the nickname Popeye for his huge forearms and gigantic hands. Something like you've never seen before. Look him up. He can easily hold a basketball with both hands like this. 
One of his hands is even bigger than the other. And so this guy has a gigantic hand. It looks like it weighs about 50 pounds. And when he's arm wrestling, you can't even see the other guy's hand. And he's older. He's an older dude now. But when he was in his prime, he was beating everybody. Now, does God actually have huge hands like Jeff Dobb, like God's heavy hand is upon us? Of course not. At least that's not what the scripture says or what it means when it says God has his heavy hand upon me. Rather, it's something called an anthropomorphism. Now, an anthropomorphism is when human characteristics or behavior are attributed to God. God's hand is upon me. Or God says in Exodus 6, 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. He doesn't literally go and grab his arm out and redeem people, but it's a figure of speech to give us this understanding. All these give human attributes to God, but not literally. It's just so that way we can understand the scripture better. We can understand him better through this figure of speech. The exact phrase hand of God in that exact order is used specifically 14 times in scripture with one or two being in the negative sense, the others being in a positive sense. The the phrase hand of my God is used twice in Nehemiah and a few times also in Ezra. Ezra believed actually to be possibly one of the, the author or one of the authors of Nehemiah taking directly from Nehemiah's written reports. And so regardless of how heavy man-made objects can weigh, I would like to say and state that nothing can get as heavy or as weighty as when the hand of God is against you. It's an irresistible force. It's an immovable object with weight that can't even be calculated. However, even more so, or I should say in direct proportion to that, when God's good hand is upon you, Nothing can stop you. Nothing at all. And that's what we read today in our passage, that God's good hand was upon Nehemiah. We know in this phrase, good hand of my God, we see that. We know something special is about to happen. Here's why. Because it means, it actually means God's agreeable, powerful hand. In other words, God's hand is agreeing with this. He's agreeing with you and it's upon you. So therefore you have that power behind you. There's no greater joy when this happens, but there's also nothing that inspires like God's good hand being upon us. There's nothing that guides us and there's nothing that can provide for us when the almighty powerful hand of God is upon you. Now, this is what we're going to dig into today for the next few minutes, how God's hand was on Nehemiah, but also what we can learn from this text as it relates to having God's good, agreeable hand upon us when we step out in our endeavors for the Lord. So I'd like to look at, through this text, how was God's good hand on Nehemiah? Because that's what he says. He goes before the king, very scared, And then all of a sudden, all these great things start happening, one after the other in succession. Boom, 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 boom. He gets an opportunity to talk. He talks. He gets favor with the king. He says, oh, that might as well ask something else. He asks something else. 
Well, I might as well ask for something else. He asks for that, and he gets it all. But Nehemiah knows that it's only because of God's good hand being upon him. So I think the first thing we can get about this, is, as I said, is that Nehemiah, he knew the good hand of God was upon him, but what did it actually do for him? Well, the first thing it did is, it, I believe, it inspired him to go and go beyond just prayer. Because a lot of times we will pray for things. Nehemiah was weeping and fasting and praying for four months, it says in chapter 1. And he was the cupbearer to the king in chapter 1. Then the first verse in chapter 2 is four months later. Four months later, for whatever reason, Nehemiah then decides to go and speak up. Or should I say God then decides to open up the king's heart to give Nehemiah an opportunity. But one thing is, is that we usually, we, we, we love to pray, but then what needs to happen is we have to take action after that. And only by God's good hand, only by God will we be inspired to take action. God always initiates this, by the way. But the one thing that Nehemiah, we could take from Nehemiah that I, that I think was, is something very applicable to each of us, whatever we're doing and aiming for now with the Lord, is that Nehemiah was aligned and inspired to what God desired. So Nehemiah was inspired to do what God desired. As we see here, God desired to keep his promises to Israel. We see that in chapter 1. God desired to keep his promises to Israel. I desire to bring you back, says God, to the land where you were scattered. I desire that you repent and turn. And if you do, I will take all of you that are scattered throughout all this big land, this, this, all this area of Persia, which is the most of the known world at the time, and I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. God desired to keep his promises. Nehemiah got lined up with that and was inspired to work that out. And he went to God and held him accountable, for lack of a better way to say it. Showed God what he said in the scripture. And God loved that. God desired to rescue, regather his people. Nehemiah desired to go and help that process happen. God desired to fortify the city. Nehemiah was inspired to go and fortify the city. This actually all came to a point when Nehemiah spoke to the king. He was inspired to take that step and speak to the king. He took up wine, he gave it to the king, he looked a little sad and was inspired to take the next step because he was aligned to what God desired. And then he was inspired to take a step of faith. He was inspired to take that step of faith. Not only, if you look at the text here, it says, the king said to me, why was your face, why is your uh, face sad, though you are not sick? I, mean, I don't know about you, but I just, is this the right time, Lord? I mean, could this, could this backfire in my face if I say something? Nope, he took the step of faith. He said, I was very much afraid, but he took the step of faith. I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's a common greeting. 
Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? One step at a time. And he goes and he continues to ask. God's, know this, God's inspiration in you will always, at, in the right time, go beyond just prayer. It will go to action. God's inspiration always leads to action. We see this in Ezra. Many other places, but I, I'd like to stick with this time period here. Ezra 7.28, it says, and, and has, um, God has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord. My God was upon me. Let me read it again. Thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. That doesn't sound right. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. The point is, is this. He was strengthened into the hand, he was strengthened by the hand of his God to do what? To take action. What did he go do? He went and he gathered leading men from Israel. He went out and took a step of faith. He went out and asked these people, hey, you want to uh, go and, uh, and, and, and head into Jerusalem with me? I'm going to go teach people. This is Ezra's talking. I'm going to go teach people the law. I'm going to go reestablish the, uh, all the, sacrament, the sacrificial system. That's my goal. What are you, nuts? That's what they probably, most of them would have said. We're under captivity. That's purposeless. But he took that step of faith like Nehemiah. So how do we get inspired by the hand of God? First of all, what is it that God is calling you to do? Don't you, we could also say, well, I don't really know. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, then we need to get into prayer with the Lord. We need to yield ourselves to God. We need to take our life and get and yield. We were talking about this in Sunday school. What does yield mean? When you come to it with your driving and you yield, you let the car go in front of you and you yield to that car. If there's nobody coming, then you go. And that's what it is with yield. You live your life, you, you're living your life, you're yielding unto the Lord. When you see God's hand coming in front of you, you go behind him and you follow. So we must yield to the Lord. But how do we get inspired by the hand of God? Number one, I think it's when we align ourselves with God's purposes. Like we talked about, his promises that he said. The things that God wants to do, if you align yourself with that, by finding that through the scripture, then you will be inspired by the hand of God. We're also inspired by the handle of God. Uh, by the by the, we're also inspired by the hand of God when we humble ourselves before the Lord. This is what Nehemiah did for four months: fasted, he prayed, he wept, he repented. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So we have to humble ourselves to God. Oftentimes that means you have to stop making excuses for your sin. Because we like to do that. We like to justify our sin. And we need to go to God and agree with him that our sin is wrong and we need help to overcome it. That's humbling ourselves before the Lord, agreeing with the Lord. I'm not saying you have all the answers on how to overcome it because that's the step of faith you have to take walking with Christ. He'll figure that out for you. But humble yourself. Put God above and you go low. <clears throat> God's hand inspires us when we are in his presence. 
Are you regularly, deliberately, I know we're walking in the spirit, but are you regularly, deliberately doing what our Lord says? Going into your closet, closing the door and speaking to your heavenly father. Are we regularly doing that? The, the presence of God is, the Bible says that the hand of God is very heavy. What that means, we see this in 1 Samuel 5, 11. It says, therefore, they, they sent uh, and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place so that it will not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly confusion throughout the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the way that it's used there is meaning that God's hand in a negative sense was there. But where God's hand is, God's presence is. It's the higher principle there, whether it's hand for good or hand for bad. So get in the presence of God. Worship God. He inhabits inhabits the praises of his people. So as we worship and we praise God, we're in his presence. As we get in the word of God, we're in his presence. As we get into the closet and close the door, we are in his presence. Are we doing that regularly, consistently? Then we will see the inspiration of the hand of God as we yield ourselves to him. The word of God is very, very incredible. Nehemiah was very familiar with the power of the word of God. He knew that God held it up high higher even than his own name. So he went to the word of God to search the word of God. He had to know it. He had to search it to remember and recount all these promises and also what to do to repent, to plead, to worship. He knew because he was in the word. Now, one of the things I like to do when when I am seeking God's will for my life is first of all, Beyond just the will, let's say I'm seeking God's will for my life in a specific direction. Well, usually before anything, when I've noticed that God likes to behave this way, that's not, not that he does this all the time, but especially with Nehemiah, he gave Nehemiah a burden. So usually before you're calling, you'll have a burden. So if you're, if you're called to a certain people to witness to a certain person, you'll have a burden for that person first. And so what I like to do is I like to go through the scripture and do word searches. And now with the computer and internet and and all these different uh, like blueletterbible.org and Bible Gateway and all these online Bible search tools, you could literally pull do so many different cool searches. What I like to do is very simple. Type in the word burden and read all the scriptures where you see that word. When you do that, God will communicate to you what really, what does it really mean as you meditate on those scriptures? What does it really mean to have a burden? I also like some of my, some of my other favorites are purpose. Search that word. Courage. Grace. Obedience. Wherever you're struggling, wherever you need that guidance for the Lord to get inspired, go to God's word. And if you don't know the word, pray to the Lord. He'll give you the words. Ask God what his purpose is for you and ask him to give you this inspired burden and then follow the burden. That's how I, um, 15 years ago, this God put a burden on me for the unreached in the 1040 zone where people have never heard the gospel before. 
How was I ever going to reach them? How was I ever going to do that? I knew my wife isn't moving out there, that's for sure, with three kids. She didn't want to do, she wasn't called to do that. She felt she wasn't called. So I just prayed, Lord, give me a burden. And then I just had a burden. I looked through the scripture of people that had burdens for the lost. People that didn't have burdens. It can start to study. And then the Lord ended up providing a way for me to go to India. And to connect with people over there. It wasn't for a long period of time. But the Lord guided. But it all started with a burden. And like Nehemiah, we are here for a purpose. For God's purpose. Your whole life that you've spent from this day and track back to the day that you were born is a piece of artwork for the Lord. He has been sculpting you and he has been fine-tuning you. He's been shaving things off and adding things on. And you could say that your whole entire life is meant for this very purpose, for this very day. Where is God leading you? He has prepared you, but what is your burden Get aligned with God so that you can be have this inspired burden. Here are some things you could burden. You could you could pray for someone. Look around and see the people around you. Have a burden for them. Have a burden for discipleship. There's nothing more glorious than seeing somebody fall in love with Christ more and more and more. Study Jesus Christ. Go and pray for the unreached. And of course, share the gospel, but pray for these things first. Pray for these burdens. God will inspire you. So I believe Nehemiah was very much inspired because he was aligned with God and he was, had this burden to go back to his, his, his original country where his fathers were from and rebuild it because that's what God's purposes were. Nehemiah was always guided. He was guided by the hand of God. You're going to see this throughout the whole scripture. But through these first two chapters, God God literally guided him with advancement to take steps forward. First of all, he was guided to move boldly despite fear. Boldness despite fear. With courage. That's what courage really is. Boldness in the face of fear. It's not courage, is it not being afraid, as we, we probably all heard. God loves courageous people who move forward trusting Him. God likes fighters. God likes people that get into the fight. I'm not talking about physical fighting. I'm talking about He does He likes men and women that, that advance the kingdom of God. God doesn't like retreat. He's not a retreating God. He's a God that advances. He likes courageous people. They don't know what they're doing. They move forward. They know God's called them. That's enough for me. Abraham, Romans 4, 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. He left and went and believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham brought his son Isaac up to the mountain knowing that God was in control. He took the step of faith. Go sacrifice your son. God stopped his hand. He trusted God to move boldly through fear. The fear of losing his only or his oldest son. The son that was supposed to be the son of the the, the promise, Isaac. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3, 17 and 18. They would not bow down. 
they would not bow down and worship any other God. So they were threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is what God loves, boldness. They didn't go out and attack. They just said, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord because this is what I know God wants me to do. So I am going to do it. God is going to guide me. Nehemiah had this king that was in front of him that could have wiped him out. And what did he do? He moved forward. He had uh, uh, Sambalot and Tobiah, who we saw, you know, in every good movie in the first some first 10 minutes of the movie, you'll, you'll get a picture of who the enemy is, who's going to be the opponent. And this is what we're seeing right here in this narrative uh, 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 book. We're seeing right in the beginning who is going to be the main opponents here or some of the main opponents. They're going to come into play later. <clears throat> Nehemiah was also guided one step at a time. I cannot overemphasize this. This is so important as a Christian to grab a hold of this and deal with it. I know it's hard for us in our time. It's so hard for me. I, I want to know everything. If there's 10 things you're going to give me, Lord, why aren't you giving me just one step now? Because if you give me all 10, I could probably get some of those other things done ahead of time. And I could probably delegate this out to a couple people and I could probably get, you know, be really productive. No, that's not how God works. Remember, God is inspired it. He is doing it. You are the willing vessel and you are going to take it one step at a time. We see this throughout scripture, Ezekiel 322. The hand of the Lord was on me and he said to me, get up, go out to the plain and there I will speak to you. So we see the hand of God upon him. Ezekiel's the hand of God is on me. Who, if God is for me, who could be against me? I'm going to take the next step. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just need to go out to the plane. And there God's going to speak to me. So he takes that one step. Ezra 7, 6. Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. So what did he do? The first of the month, he began to go up from Babylon. He came to Jerusalem. And again, because the good hand of God was upon him, he didn't know more than that. He took that next step. <clears throat> Where God guides, God provides. Where he guides, he will provide. This is why it's so important to get that inspiration from God being aligned with his purposes and promises and everything he does because then you know when you get set out and things don't start to go well and you're out in the plane waiting for the voice of God and there ain't nothing around but dust and, and sand, you know that you were sent by God and you know that where God guides, God will provide. You see, he was also guided regardless of these supposedly super powerful earthly circumstances. See, because we don't really have a good a, a comparison with this other than maybe movies we see. But these Persian kings were not to be messed with. 
None of these kings were. I mean, even obviously through Babylonia and all that, but these guys were very, very powerful men. Very, very influential. So Nehemiah went through, actually he was in front of Artaxerxes one. And so I know this is hard, but Artaxerxes one in the time of Nehemiah was about 445 BC. Artaxerxes was son of Xerxes. Okay, and we see him in, in, in the book of Esther as Ahasuerus, when translated from into the Hebrew means, or it means Xerxes. Okay, and he was uh, the one who married Esther. Okay, and he was famous for wars with, with Greece and that sort of thing. And Xerxes was under Darius I. He completed the temple back in 525 BC. He authorized completion of it. And then before him, who stopped the work of the temple, was Artaxerxes, the very, very first one, which was about 90 years earlier. So why I'm telling you this is, you can find all, you can see this on the timeline. Don't try to process it or I'll lose you. But I'm trying to show you this is because this is when Nehemiah came in after like four generations of these Persian kings. And so God was in control of the strongest earthly power known to man at that time. Does that register that? The strongest earthly power, the strongest earthly man with the most influence in the world, God was able to influence his heart like that. And so that's what we have to remember. We can't let earthly circumstances stop us from doing what God is calling us to do. Or or I, I should say prohibitive circumstances. And so, you know, this is somebody the other day called me and said, Pat, I just need you to pray for me. I'm like, sure, buddy. What's up? I, I need two million dollars. So he said in ministry for ministry. I said, all right, what else? Because that's nothing for God. Absolutely nothing. Five, two million, two dollars. No different. We're going to pray. So Nehemiah, he regardless of all this stuff, he knew that this was a tough see he could have see usually if if somebody's in the king's presence and they're looking sad the king could look at them and be like what what's up with this guy like why is he sad is he scared is he poisoning my drink is somebody is he up to something and it's not like they say well let's have a little tribunal and figure it out they go no just kill him get him out that's what it is bring in another cupbearer Notice that he didn't mention Jerusalem. He wanted to go to the place of his fathers. He was scared because he knew that throughout, if, if, if Artaxerxes were to look back, he would have known that Jerusalem was a powerful, powerful country years before. And also that some of the other Persian kings stopped the work of the temple. So he didn't even mention it. And God just sort of, whoosh, Jedi mind trick, right? <laughs> sure, here you go. You can have that too. Nehemiah's like, okay, can I have uh, letters for the forest too to get all the wood I need? Sure. You know, surprised he wasn't like, oh, can I have the set of the fastest horses that you have, right? Just keep asking Nehemiah. I mean, really, he just keeps going more and more and more and more. And God keeps opening, opening and opening the doors. So how do we get, how do we get guided by, this, by the hand of God? Some of the things here, step out despite fear. Now, I'm not saying don't take calculated risks. You want to take calculated risks. You don't want to be like, 
Yes, God's calling me to reach the people of North Korea, so I'm going to run across the border and get my, you know what, blown off. That's what would happen. You want to reach the people of North Korea? Good. Calculate that, (laughs) because that's a close country. Okay, so use that. Just take those calculated risks. Trust in the Lord. Don't expect more than one step from God, regardless of the time interval between steps. See, because you could have the step from God where you're supposed to be right now. You're just not ready for the next step. Maybe. So prepare. Ask the Lord to prepare you for that next step. God, I know you called me where I'm at right now. I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm just going to yield to you and be where I'm at. But I'm waiting. I'm sensitive to your call, Lord. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm praying. I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm talking to the people at my church, the leaders at the church. I'm getting prayer. I'm getting covering. And I'm in that interval. Nehemiah waited four months, remember, after his prayer. Moses, 40 years. Abraham was 90. Again, I can go on and on and on. I'm not saying it's, it's going to happen with you. I'm sure it's going to be faster. But move forward no matter who opposes you. You will have enemies in opposition. There's no doubt about that. As soon as you do the Lord's work, the enemy will pop up. He may push you. He may stop, he may stop you. He's so clever and so deceptive. But God's got you covered. Yield to the Lord. And again, if you're all in the right, if you're in the right line, you've been inspired by God, you know you're going to be guided by God, and then you could know that you will be provided for by God. He will move others to help you what you need to do. He will move others. His Holy Spirit will be upon you. Second Chronicles 30, 12, the hand of God was on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. God moved all of them. He would put his hand on and he provided. He will bring the people that you need. He will bring the resources that you need. You will see that there is no propping up the word of the work of God. There's no propping it up. You know what I mean by that? Like, you, you, you can't go ahead of God and start building castles and things like that that aren't, if the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders labor in vain. So you can't go out and start propping up things that you believe you're called to do if it's not from God. It will crumble. That's why it's important to go through the biblical process of seeking the Lord, getting that burden, praying, being led one step at a time. Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's not. But either way, God will move others to help you. And there's no propping it up. So be patient and wait for that provision. How do we know when God's providing to reach the purpose that we have? Same as Nehemiah. He presents opportunities. He presents opportunities. Be sensitive to open doors. Be sensitive. What did, the, what did Artaxerxes say? What would you request? Wow. Open door. Well, I, I want to uh, go rebuild the, the land of my fathers. And it pleased the king to help him. So then he asked for letters. He asked for security. He asked for all the things that he needed. He got more than he needed, which is usually what God will do. God will also test your faith. 
will you cower away? And if you do, that's okay, because he's a God of second chances. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up when I've said, this is the Lord opening a door, and it was too scary, and I took the safe way. And I knew it was the wrong thing. And the Lord was gracious enough to give me another opportunity. He moved in my heart, was part of the process, I guess. But he will test your faith. He tested Nehemiah through this. Is this guy going to be able to handle what's ahead of him in Jerusalem? Let's, Let's put him in front of King Artaxerxes and see. And he passed that test. He will meet your needs. I mean this financially. He will meet your needs from a resource perspective. He will meet you where you are, what you need as you go. Okay, go. We talked about that this morning, the doctrine of go. It's very simple. Go. That's the doctrine of go. You go. And you just take that first step. We get so excited when God provides. I remember hearing Chuck Smith tell a story uh, in his memoir about his struggle in ministry. His first 15, 17 years, he said, they struggled financially so bad where they didn't know where they were going to eat week to week. And um, he had received a phone call when he, he got a phone bill and it was like $435.29. And they were like, how are we going to pay this? Our phone is going to get shut off. We only have $300. And so within five or 10 minutes, he gets a telephone call. He answers it. And it's somebody that says, hey, the Lord put this on my heart. I just received my check back from the state. And it's $430 some dollars in exact change. That was what he owed. And I am sending it out to you. And Chuck rejoiced and jumped up and down and said, wow, this is great. Let's take 25 of that 300 that we have and go out to dinner. (laughs) And he did. But then he said he felt convicted. Not because he took the 25 to go out to dinner, but he felt convicted that he had to hear that man on the phone to get that excited that God was going to provide for him. Didn't I tell you I would provide for you? He said, didn't I show you through my word that I would provide? And so just as if you have it, Have that faith. Take that step. Read men like George Mueller, who refused to ask anyone for money back in the 1800s. He ran the Ashley Orphanage in Bristol, England. He cared for 10,024 orphans over his time. He opened up 117 schools. Over 120,000 kids attended. And the whole entire thing was provided for by prayer. I encourage you to read his, his biography or the, there's even a documentary, I think, on Netflix about him that you could watch. His needs were met every day by day, meaning he, they were met today, tomorrow, they weren't there in the morning, and then they were there that night. And that happened every single day. And he actually confessed that the motive of him starting this orphanage was to prove to the world that God still answers prayer. So he refused to ask for money from anyone. He refused to tell anybody that they had any needs. And every day there would be a table set for all those orphans and oftentimes food would not be on the table. And then somebody would knock on their door and drop off food. 
Random people. Amazing stories that I can't even make up. Read it. Learn it. Let it get into your skin. Smell like it. (laughs) Start to smell like that person that trusts in the Lord. So when somebody walks by you, they get a whiff of it and they smell it. And they're inspired to be guided and provided for by God. So summary and conclusion, Nehemiah, inspired by the hand of God. How do we do this? We desire what God wants. And God initiates this, but we align with his purposes. We align with his, pro- his promises. And we take that step. We humble ourselves before God. We, he, he was guided by the hand of God. He moved boldly through fear, through obstacles, knowing that he went within the name of the Lord. That God had opened the heart of the king. How much more Asaph in the forest? How much more these enemies that I'm going to meet? And next time we talk, we're going to go through him walking and inspecting at Jerusalem. And the people that stood up against him, he stood firm as a leader should. He was provided for by the hand of the Lord. Moved others to help him, provided for him every one of his needs as he went. As you go. So what are we waiting for? We need to take a step out for the Lord. The walls are, are, are down. The city is destroyed. As I use as, an, as a metaphor for our world corrupted by sin. But the power of the Holy Spirit is here. And it's in you. And you are God's hands and feet. You are Jesus's reflection. You are the microcosm of Christ going out. To renew that which was destroyed. So be sensitive to what God is calling you to do. You have Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate inspiration. He is our ultimate guide. He is God in the flesh. He is our ultimate provider. And he proved how much he loved us by going to the cross. He is at the right hand of God, that right hand of power. And he guides us through the Holy Spirit. Do you have Christ today? Can you say that Christ is mine? Are you, or can you say that the hand, the good hand of my God is upon me? Because if you are Christ's, you've turned from your sin. You've trusted Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. You've given him, you've yielded to him. Have you done that? If you have, then you can know that the good hand of God is upon you. I don't know what stage you're at right now. Maybe you're still waiting for inspiration. Maybe you're being guided. Maybe you're being provided for. Regardless of what it is, you can know there's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles. Remember Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. Go back to it often and read it for that inspiration. Thank you, Father, for inspiring us through your word. Lord, we're just so um, enamored, excited, just, just humbled. We're... We're overjoyed with the possibilities, God. But Lord, don't let us jump too far ahead. Inspire us, Lord. Guide us. Provide for us as you did for Nehemiah. And we thank you for giving us the ultimate example, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.